You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. At Pro Tour Baltimore, Brendan, when James announced that Worlds was still to be confirmed, do you remember the, the one thing he did say was, you know, we're going to we're going to the city of bright lights. Yep, yep, yep. We all thought it was uh, we all thought it was Paris. It was not. <laughs> I don't think it was Barcelona either. Yeah. So I, it is. It's. I mean, it's the new set, right? It's the we. The new set has been announced. Um, all mechanologist set, and I guess that that's that's very cheeky of James. I I, I respect. Uh, I respect it. That's he got us with that one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they made us wait another two months. Thanks, James. <laughs> it was all planned, actually. They they were never planning to announce Worlds at uh, at the Pro Tour. They were just they just were trickling it to us so that they could reveal the new set like this. Yeah. So if you haven't seen already, Bright Lights is Flesh and Blood's next set that's going to release in October, just in time for that competitive play season, which is going to kick off with a run of callings before, of course, the World Championships. So there's a pre-release happening September 29th to October 2nd. It is, as Brennan said, a full mechanologist set. And there's a lot of interesting things that are coming with the set. I mean, I don't know about you. First of all, the announcement, I wasn't expecting the announcement. Mm -hmm. Nothing really came before to say that, you know, expect an announcement to come. Uh, I believe this dropped on uh, IGN, I think, and mm -hmm. in partnership with LSS. We've seen, what we've seen so far is, well, what we know so far, I guess, is this is going to be a fully Mechanologist set. The only non-Mechanologist cards, as far as we know, is going to be in this new expansion slot, which is going to be replacing a token slot in some packs, which is going to offer, we know definitely, a reprint of Tunic, which I think is great for the game, but also uh, other cards that can, as as Legend Story Studio says in the sort of announcement for this, expand the story within the wider world of Wraith or expand the tournament card pool of classes and or talents outside the core focus of the product or serve as an avenue to reprint key cards such as Fender Spring Tunic, uh, which is one of the cards possible to find in the Bright Lights expansion slot. Mm -hmm. Well, Hayden, let me get your thoughts. Let me get your first reactions on... I mean, this is completely... So what's funny is that Dust Sold On was a... Um, it was a new take on Flesh and Blood design for supplemental mm -hmm. sets. And then we're going straight from Dust Sold On now into the, this new set, which is wildly different from any other Flesh and Blood set we've ever seen. It is a draftable set. It is a limited um, a set that can be played limited, but a mechanologist-only set. What are your initial reactions? So I knew that we were waiting for the announcement or we were going to, you know, at some point, I was actually thinking about this the other day, about two days ago. I say we wasn't really expected, but two days ago, I was thinking, well, usually after the the previous set drops, the next set gets a, a release date mm -hmm. and we get some, you know, some teasers for it. We hadn't had that, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this feels like actually a little bit late, you know, considering it should be, we should have definitely have it for Worlds. In fact, we're going to have it, you know, much before Worlds. We're going to have it for calling Dallas, Taipei, you know, uh, Harden season leading into calling Melbourne, all these events leading into, into Worlds. But I was thinking, I kind of woke up, saw the announcement, and thought, wait, I, this is meant to be a draftable set. And then, you know, bright lights, mechanologist set only. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's another dust. Oh, wait, no, it is a draftable set. It feels really weird to have. I mean, this is the most narrow, this is the narrowest set in terms of, you know, the available card for pool for the current set of heroes and classes that Alice's have come out with so far. We felt that with Dust of Dawn, right? It's like, wow, this mm -hmm. is quite narrow for a supplemental set. And then they doubled down and went even narrower for a draftable set. I mean, I'm super interested. I think my first reaction was, hmm, I'm not so sure about this, but, you know, it is a draftable set. They're bringing in some new things around, uh, 
this like crack shuffle play idea where you can literally just open three packs and, and play sealed. You know, you can just bring people in that way. Mm-hmm. There is a four pack sealed format that is now going to move move forward with. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I'm happy they're taking risks, and I do think that just like mm-hmm. Dust Till Dawn, this is this is a risk. I mean, this feels this you know at surface level, this feels like one of those sets that. Might be skippable for a lot of players that aren't interested in mech. I don't think that will necessarily be the case, but there could be a payoff for that, right? We could we could end up with a set that deeply expands the mechanologist class and leads to a much more engaging, you know, format and gameplay, etc. I think that that if they're taking the risk of coming out with a set like this, they've thought about it. Um and you know, I just I put my trust in Legend Story because this is absolutely not something I saw happening. Ever, to be honest, in Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to maintain the formula of those three to four, you know, plus heroes in a limited set, sort of giving people a lot of new characters to sort of role play as in class constructed. Because I think that's one of the sort of the strong elements of these new sets is like you get a new a new ninja and you classify yourself as a ninja player, you get a new wizard and you're a wizard player. But I mean, this is literally just mechanologists. I think that although mechanologists in name they might, they will likely play quite differently, right? So, you know, they might, I guess, Surely. you know, beneath the hood, they're kind of different. They're different classes in a sense, different subclasses of the mechanologist sort of super class. Um, but still, yeah, very, very interesting choice. And like I said, I'm, I put my faith in Legend Story uh, for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to see them take risks at this point in the game's life cycle. It's, it's really interesting. I remember something that James said to me, and I believe you said he also said this at Baltimore. Um, but he said this to me when we, we caught up in Singapore that he kind of sees the design cycle of the year as like, okay, one set is really grassroots. It's about giving you, you know, a lot of um, traditional play elements of flesh and blood. And this year that was outsiders. Mm-hmm. And then there's, a, you know, there's going to be the supplemental set that's going to, you know, be different. It's going to introduce things. Maybe some you don't expect, maybe some you do. We definitely saw that with Dust of Dawn. And then, you know, there's going to be this marquee product once a year, which is just, it's going to, it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be something bringing to the table, something you haven't seen in TCGs before or something you definitely haven't seen in Flesh and Blood before. And I mean, this looks like it's going to definitely deliver on that. I mean, this idea of moving to like a four pack sealed because all the cards are potentially effectively playable, mm-hmm. right? It's not like other sealed formats be like, oh, I have one, some from this class, from this, some from this class. You're just going to have all mechanologist cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reads like there's no, no generics even. Um, this idea that you have equipment starting your deck completely brand new to flesh and blood so um yeah it's, it's really interesting i'm you know i'm excited we're going to metrics i think metrics is potentially one of my favorite places lore wise uh, art wise and you know original mechanologist with dash was super interesting to me and it's funny because you know for a long time it was like wow dash is the the hero or the mechanologist the class that's being least served well now you get a full set dedicated just to mechanologist for all you mech fans out there yeah, so I was actually in Baltimore when this when James made that speech, and I believe he used a graphic that was you know a squiggly line up and down, like ebb and flow, ebb and flow, and it was an interesting yeah. an interesting metaphor because I remember he he used like some sets are going to be you know hot and some sets you know they're going to be a bit more calm or something like that, and I remember I was sitting next to Matt Fox and he looks at me he's like so he's like wait a second. Does that mean that this is the shit set or the next set is the shit? It was just like a weird way of explaining it. Um, but you're right. Like what he what he's probably alluding to there is we do have this big marquee set that really shakes things up um, in the game. I, the sealed thing is interesting. It feels like something that was maybe adjusted sort of post development in like I don't know 
game balancing or something. Like, it is weird, right? The four pack Mac. What I'm more interested in is the draft actually with, you know, every card actually being playable. Will that lead to a more mm-hmm. rewarding drafting experience in flesh and blood? Because I think one of the critiques you could make of the game is that drafting experience, something like the, um, not outsiders, but dynasty where it, not dynasty, Jesus Christ, the one with five. What, God, why is that slipping my mind? Uprising. Uprising. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, where um, it felt like your choices were kind of locked in after you know very few picks, right? And I think that was mm-hmm. one of the critiques that people have made about Flesh and Blood for a while is that the drafting just can feel a little bit on rails because you're, you're lining up into these heroes, even though that's not necessarily true. How does that transition into a format where you know potentially all of your cards are playable? Maybe some of the cards in your deck don't suit the hero that you land in specifically, assuming all mechs, but still they're playable. You're not going to end up in a situation where you have cracked bobbles or you have these somewhat un, you know, these, these decks, you know, those, you know, those draft pods, you know, they have, they tend to happen at high level pro events whenever you make it to, to the top eight or something like that, where there's just randomly five people in Briar or something like that. Well, it's not going to happen this time. That's really what I'm interested to see Hayden is how this transitions into draft in flesh and blood. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be eight people making all just, you know, everyone's going to be in your class yeah, for it. Like, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Did you guys not see it's, the signals? Like, what the hell? <laughs> so this is where I kind of was a little bit, to start with, a little bit worried when I first read the announcement. I was like, is this going to mean sort of the, the homogenous nature of the set is going to make draft less interesting? Yeah. But I actually think probably it leads towards the other way, right? Like, you get more uh, archetypes. You get, you know, we obviously we've only seen um tickle boston so far from a hero standpoint which we can talk a little bit about but you know there's also art for what looks like a new dash as well mm-hmm. is that the or dash io that's what it says in the the sort of the um the footer of the artwork do we get other heroes oh, is this a two hero set you know and then what does that mean is there different ways to play these heroes there could be other mechanics we haven't even seen yet you know the equipment could really drastically this starting deck equipment could really drastically change how you draft the the heroes for instance we we don't know so um look i'm, I'm interested to see what it's gonna be like i i limited is probably my favorite format i think mm-hmm. i've said this a lot and if this is you know a top draft format then i'm super excited for it i mean we're gonna be drafting at worlds so definitely gonna get the opportunity to draft a lot of it in the lead up to worlds um i one thing that scares me a little bit is that they haven't put any limited callings in and i feel like <laughs> if they really wanted to back this four pack sealed and this or even just this draft format they would they would have put in some sealed callings <laughs> that's pretty funny that 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 is a that is a an observation for sure also i'm not sure i mean i i'm thinking back on the the previous mechanologist cards but if i think about like the setting of flesh and blood and the lore because i'm a big lore guy i feel like you know, Mechanologist and Metrics has been a bit more of like a steampunk vibe, right? This like weird mm-hmm. sort of like early 1900s-ish kind of like pushing the boundary a bit of technology and old age or something like that. But, you know, now we see Terminator tank and it's like, it's literally a freaking mech. It's like, what's going on? Like Flesh and Blood is now bringing in this like, I don't know, this crazy futuristic technology. It's just, it's just something that stood out to me. I was surprised to see like a literal mech. Obviously the name is Mechanologist, but... Nevertheless, Terminator tank specifically, I was like, Jesus Christ, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, we, we saw, you know, the mech suit, the construct, um, Nitro Mechanoid. Oh, in, sorry. Yeah, in, in I, I blamed, set. I, uh, I suppressed Dynasty I know what you mean, memory. though. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean, though. I think the, the particularly with, with Arcane Rising, like it did feel a little bit, you know, more steampunky mm-hmm. as opposed to as we've gone through, it's felt, you know, a little bit less. But I think Mechanologists will always hold that kind of, it has this really interesting, you know, it doesn't reflect any particular time and, history or future it's this kind of mix of what what 
something could be. So um, it's really interesting. I guess just quickly before we kind of move on and you know introduce the pod for the week, um, some of the cards that we've seen so far, obviously, so Ticklevossen is the first, uh, and Ticklevossen, esteemed magnet, is the first uh, hero we've seen. Um, it, has, it says you may play Evos from your banish zone, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's a four intellect hero with 40 health and also says once per turn instant, three resources. You may play your next Evo this turn as though or an instant when you do draw a card. That's quite a powerful upgrade on Kano there, Brendan. Oh, well, no, it's not because it says once per turn. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> true, Kano true. would suck if it said once per turn. That, I mean, that's the, that's the big limiter here for, I don't know, breaking design uh, is that. I mean, obviously playing something like this, drawing a card, the replacement of whatever you're doing, you know, the Teach resources you're pitching, very strong. But how do we get, how do we get Evos into the Banish Zone? Yes. This is my question. I mean, that's kind of the biggest question everybody's going to have when they look at Benedict Cumberbatch, Esteem Magnate. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's powerful. Maybe it's not. I would love to see a playable Kano come into the format. Hey, do you, I feel like it's hard to even talk about Teclavasa without diving into what even is an Evo, and we do have one. We do have one, yeah. So Evo Steel Soul Memory is uh, the first mechanologist action equipment Evo-based head that we've mm-hmm. seen. It has three defense. It costs four. It's a blue, as I say. And it says, if you have a base head equipment, transform it into this, then equip this. When this transforms from or into an Evo with a different name, your hero gets plus one intellect until the end of the turn. It has temper one. Uh, or it just says, so temper, but a defense three. So, you know, I mean, uh, equipment that blocks for three and has temper and has the ability to give you one intellect when it transforms. That seems pretty strong. It's obviously super hard to tell without context, <laughs> yeah. but you know, if you're able to I mean, potentially recycle this, so how do you even get into your banish zone is a question. I, I as well. don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's a blue block is it three. Part though? of the transformation. Yeah. Blue block three. I mean, there's one thing, there's one observation that I want to, um, I want to bring to you. And that's that mm-hmm. Tekel Vesson um, has the normal, Board that we're used to with Mechanologist. Evo Steel yes. Soul Memory has a different one. And Terminator Tank, which we're about to talk about, has, has a different, different one again. again. So yep. I'm not sure what that means because usually. That's exciting though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like uh, usually it's on different heroes, right? Um, it's weird to see it on just generic mechanologist cards. Anyway, let's talk about Terminator Tank so we don't we don't get ahead of ourselves here. Well, quickly, can I can I add something? So okay, okay, okay. the border scheme comes from where they're from, yes. right? And there's always been this weird thing about mechanologists. Mm. People were like, it's a talent, it's not a class, and James dispelled that, right? And it, you know, it's clearly, clearly a class. But I think within that, what mechanologist has a little bit differently is that it seems to have maybe areas within metrics or different like streams of of technology potentially that and give these different borders. And that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. What what do these different borders mean? Does it mean kind of just what I said, are they from different parts of metrics? Are they from different streams of of the mechanologist kind of science branches? Like that's what I'm interested to find out. Okay. So Terminator Tank is a mechanologist. Attack action. Uh it costs six <clears throat> pitches for red. Uh attacks for six, blocks for three, and it says if you have one or more Evos equipped, this gets when this hits a hero, they just caught a card. If you have two or more equipped, this costs three less to play. If you have three or more equipped, this gets overpowering. If you have four more equipped, this gets plus three. So, I mean, there's not a lot you can take away from this card. Like the base rate, obviously, you, can you even... Pl- that's that's the biggest thing I want to ask. It's like, if I have zero to one Evo equipped, is this mm-hmm. card playable? It's like, mm, maybe not. But as soon as you have two, I feel like it's gas. Like, this card is great. But... Yes, it's- Go ahead. Three cost on hit discard a card, right? Yes. At that point. Fantastic. One of the best cards we've seen. Um, but I don't know. 
I just, I have no idea when it comes to, like, we always get trick, LSS has a way of trickling us these little hints about sets, and they just make no damn sense when we first see them. Like, the first looks are always like, oh, that's provocative. It, you know, you look at the the ceiling of this card, and it's absolutely ridiculous. But, mm-hmm. I mean, how hard is it to, how easy yeah, it is to, Evos, yeah. like, Evos, how do we get them in the banner zone? How do we transform our equipment? Like, et cetera. It's just, I don't know yet. Yeah, taking, I mean, a three for nine attack that has overpower on it, the scatter card is obviously very, very powerful. So, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's these uh, these new base equipments, uh, which you can go and check out. They're called Proto Base. Uh, and there's one for each equipment slot. It's obviously going to be very important to the format. And yeah, as I say, pre release happening 29th of September to 2nd of October. Set officially releases on the 6th of October and will be available for play for the events after that, I think. I, I want to say, I think there's a battle hardened the weekend of or the weekend after that. And then I know uh, Taipei is the weekend, the, the weekend directly afterwards after the release. And then Dallas is the weekend after that, two weeks after the pre-release. Uh, sorry, after the release. So yeah, it's going to ramp up very quickly with the, with events. Once we get through this national season, we're going to be straight towards a, a Bright Lights preview and pre-release season. And then, you know, the Bright Lights season culminating in Worlds. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that this equipment is the push and pull of... I don't know if it's all of the mechanologists printed, but specifically Teclavesen and this whole Evo mechanic is that you start with this bad equipment effectively that does almost nothing. Um, mm. Like the proto base heads. I'm not sure. So when it comes to the Teclo base, and it has blade break, right? So, I mean, functionally iron rot. I'm assuming you just like don't really want to block with these things because if you get rid of them, you can, you can no longer transform them, right? And I think that's what you're trying to do is transform your equipment into these Evos and then get the payoffs. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we'll learn more. I'm sure post nationals we'll start to. Get, I, I imagine at US nationals we might get a little more information as well about about the set. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, this is episode 121 of Arsenal Pass. Very long intro there, but very exciting news with this new set coming our way. Bright lights, something very, very different, very surprising. Uh, episode 121, Brendan. What are we? What are we going to chat about? Well, we're going to talk about <laughs> Birmingham. Mm. Calling Birmingham over the weekend. Another event won by Icelander and, uh, you know, you asked me to make some predictions last week on the pod and my predictions were pretty inaccurate. I think I got <laughs> one of the top eight right. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to we're gonna dive into, you know, this kind of new meta, what's happening, maybe why we've both been a little bit potentially wrong. I would say we've both been wrong, but potentially wrong. Uh, I guess before that, while we continue on with the news, I do just want to say, Big shout out to Samuel Brabant on Icelander winning the call in Birmingham over the weekend. And uh, can't can't go without mentioning Pablo Pintor, who made another calling top eight, making the finals of this of this calling. I want to say Pablo's made like four or five calling top eights now with uh with a you know a win under his belt, plus of course the the two Pro Tour top eights and a Pro Tour win. It's just, you know, that, that resume is stacking up, Brendan. Yeah, pretty good player. Pretty good player for King sure. King of Europe. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of meta evaluations and, and predictions, I feel like forever moving forward I will get shit for for calling Bravo unplayable. But people always miss the nuance that that was during the old him meta. I think that Bravo is playable. But I also, we'll get into it, but I don't understand how this Bravo deck in particular is doing as well as it is. And because I don't understand it, we're trying to get Pablo on next week so he can come tell us what the hell, dude. You're playing Wish.com old him over here and you're doing doing so well, you know, making it to the finals, ultimately losing to Icelander. But the deck, I mean, it looks to be performing well. It looks like it's doing good against Lexi. Three of the top eight. Yep, three of the top eight. I mean, I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I was surprised, but it looks like... Looks like Oldham's sort of fundamental game plan was so powerful that you can put it into a Bravo shell and still have success with it. Because 
fundamentally, that's what it looks like it is. Obviously, they have access mm-hmm. to cards like Crippling Crush and now Starstruck. Nevertheless, the sort of turn-by-turn game plan looks very similar to what we saw with Ultim. Well, uh, I guess just before we get into main topic and kind of cook out that Brendan might have preempted a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Skirmish Season 7 is underway. I know some skirmish events went down on the weekend. I didn't play any. I don't think you played any uh, either, Brendan. I'm, I'm wanting to play at least one Blitz because I want to play Azalea because I think Azalea looks really good in Blitz right now. Uh, but I've been hearing things like Yoji's been doing well. Um, you know, Kasai. Chain was the most played at the Battle Hardened event in Birmingham, which was which Blitz format. Uh, and there's also limited, so I'm keen to get out to some draft ones if possible. But yeah, it's a it's a very it's a it's a tight season. It's right, you know, kind of leading to this national season, which makes it a little more difficult. But yeah, um, you know, congrats to everyone who picked up some skirmish wins over the weekend and and you you know your cold foils and such. Mm-hmm. Kind of cook out time, Brendan. I mean, I feel like you kind of answered this question a little bit already just then, but I'll, I'll let you expand on it if you like. But I have to read this out. Um, this comes from our community Discord, the Arsenal Pass Discord, which you can join if you're an Arsenal Pass Patreon. Otherwise, you can get your questions and you can drop them down. On the YouTube comments below, you can uh, email us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter. You can tweet at us. Do whatever you want. Pass us a note at the next uh, event that you see us at. This comes from Guy, and Guy says, At Brendan, <laughs> regarding the results from the UK calling, would you say that Bravo is a legit deck now? Other than the addition of Starstruck, the deck didn't get much new tools from Dust to Dawn. Was Ultim the only thing keeping him from being one of the top decks of the format? Was Ultim keeping him? I don't think so. I think Ultim was just a better version of him. I really do. Like, I think that there was almost no excuse to play Bravo when Oldham was a hero, except in some ridiculously narrow meta, like maybe Mono Fi or something like that. Um, nevertheless, I also I wonder if this is the same Gi uh, that helped teach me Kano back in the Scourge Season 1, Scourge Season 2. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Um, new additions to the deck. I mean, Starstruck is a good addition. I, I'm not sure if it's like a fantastic addition, but it seems like a good card and adds a sort of this ability for Bravo to time lock some of its opponents via things like Spinal Crush. I mean, Crippling Crush kind of has that effect. And now you have Starstruck as well. I mean, maybe that package is just enough. Like I said, though, earlier watching Pablo play in the top eight does look like the sort of turn by turn game plan. Very, very similar to Oldham. I guess the difference is, is the sort of pivot turns where instead of presenting raw damage, like a, you know, attack for 10 or something like that, you are presenting more relevant on hit triggers that your opponent simply can't just ignore, right? Things like Spinal Crush, and they kind of just shut a lot of decks down. Yeah, I mean... Olsen played Spinal Crush. Olsen played, you know, yeah, I'm sure Crippling Crush is the, uh, as the example. Yeah, there. the Crippling Crush and the Starstruck is obviously the, the the difference. But those cards cost more than, say, you know, like if I compare to our Olsen deck that we played in Singapore, for instance, um, you know, Disable, Chokeslam, you know, all of our CNC, like all of our attacks basically had on hits. That's the way we kind of built that deck. It was almost like a little bit of a, an Olsen Bravo hybrid to an extent. But I kind of, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it is a big part of it is Ultim not being there just as the best guardian, to be honest. And you look at these lists, and I think this is the one thing that kind of surprised me about this weekend. And the reason I didn't have Bravo in my kind of, you know, doing well necessarily is because I thought people were going to adapt. I think, you know, you see them with these kind of like mini Ultim strategies playing Titan's Fist and mm-hmm. the the Buckler, right? Um, is, it, is it called the Buckler? The the big equipment? I mean, it's, a, it's that a shield that's a circle, so it looks like a Buckler. Yeah, it's called Steel Barry Buckler, yeah. It's yeah. the one that has two defense and temper. Um, so they play Titan's Fist plus that Buckler for, you know, like these kind of more, I guess, defensive matchups, potentially fatiguing decks like Lexi. 
uh, and then they play Anathos for you know decks like Dromai, for instance, mm-hmm. or um, Icelander. I think even yeah, Icelander, etc. So you know, as a, there's a kind of a dual strategy there, and that Buckler Titans Fist plan reminds me a lot of what what Ultim was doing in those matchups, and I think Bravo's replicated that. And I think I'm, in my mind, the reason I didn't think it was going to do well is because I I thought people would just kind of keep the list the same. They sort of look at the you know maybe Lexi for instance I thought Lexi was going to do really well and actually if you look at the win rates from the weekend which we'll get into Lexi did have the best win rate uh, across the event that Lexi's would just mostly keep the same shell expect Bravo to be there but also just have the same plans and you know in my eyes Bravo's plan versus Lexi is worse than Ultimate's plan because you don't have the shield you don't have Rampart you have this Buckler instead so it has you know two uses you don't have Crown of Seeds which means you can't like cycle through it's it's quite different and you don't have Earth React so you you can actually get fatigued yourself and it looked like from the games I saw on stream that and from I guess anecdotally from the results that maybe these Lixies had changed the list quite a bit or just didn't think Bravo was going to come with this plan so um, I think in my in my testing it kind of seemed to me like Bravo was you know, people would have the answers for it, have the tools for it, and it didn't look like people necessarily did this weekend. Yeah, no. I'm, so, bravo, good choice. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, so the thing is, is I'm, I'm kind of speechless. I think that, you know, some of the players piloting this bravo deck into the top eight are just very, very good players. Um, that, that's partly due to the, to the deck success. But, yeah, I mean, maybe it was just the perfect conditions for a deck like this to exist. Because, I mean, this bravo deck... With that strategy, I mean, it's kind of struggled into some of the sort of the past, I don't know, maybe more combo-esque game plans, game you know, game plans that can go to the long end, things like the Icelander, things like some of the Rune Blades, maybe not Briar, but, you know, some of the others. And maybe it just is fundamentally good into Lexi, and the Lexis were just struggling, struggling against it. To, to be honest, I'm just, I don't know, I just, I'm totally not sure. It looks like a very mid-range and kind of just average deck and maybe the guardian cards are just statted in a way that they are just better than regular cards in flesh and blood and you can play that sort of game plan and just eke out value over your opponent over a longer period of time and just win games um and that seems to be what Bravo's doing you definitely can but i think this counterplay to it so I, I think what we should do is maybe we should go into some of these results first because that might set the scene for how decks performed or didn't perform and then let's talk a little about some of the the best performing decks just as a as a whole and then maybe where we kind of see these moving forward mm. because this meta will adapt i think maybe in my eyes i thought it was going to adapt faster there's a couple of things i want to talk about particularly with with lexi bravo um and and Rune Blades, mm-hmm. but maybe we can start by, you know, obviously, let's look at the top eight first. Let me ask you a question, um, though, so, first, because you, you mentioned right. uh, you mentioned that you thought Oldham had a better matchup um, into Lexi. Is there any matchup in Flesh and Blood that Oldham would have had a worse matchup than Bravo? I think you said Fi. I think that's probably pretty pretty fair. It's like maybe, um, right? It's like maybe. I think maybe Briar fire. was worse as well. Okay, Briar, I, think I could Briar was worse as well. Yeah, but, sorry, Briar. Viscerai. I think Viscerai was worse. Okay. Okay. I think Bravo was better into Viscerai than, than Ultima was. I think it was kind of a, a pretty tough matchup if people had the had the right plan, which I don't think was that hard a plan to have, um, to be honest. The, the, the Crown of Dominion, the Royal Viscerai was pretty good into Ultima. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, let, let's, I guess, take a look at the sort of snapshot. In the end, top eight ends up being uh, three, three Bravo Two Katsu, which that's the other one we definitely have to talk about. Didn't necessarily see that coming. And then we have uh, an Azalea, an Icelander, an Azuri, and an Icelander. Yeah, those. that's the top eight. 
Yeah, I mean, if anybody plays Katsu, it's definitely the Europeans. I know, you know, specifically That's at Pro true. Tour Baltimore recently, there was a lot of Europeans that showed up on Katsu. <laughs> Didn't do as well in that tournament as it did in this tournament. But, you know, Katsu is a, is a hero that, I mean, I would absolutely not have put on my bingo sheet. And I think some of that is region-based, where it's just not really a play deck over here, it seems. Yeah. Um, and we can look at win rates for that, that here in particular as well, but there was quite a lot. Let's let's go to the, I guess, the in terms of that, let's go to the metagame breakdown because mm-hmm. I think it's, it's quite interesting to to look at. Um, so day one, Lixie is by far the most played deck. It's 16% of the, the meta. There's 408 players, I think, uh, at this event in Birmingham. 67 on Lixie, 48 on Dromai, so the second most played deck. Then the third most played deck is Bravo, 44. And then Briar, 40. Leviah, 39. So the top five heroes you know pretty closely represented apart from lexi maybe streaming ahead a little bit which is i think it's to be expected uh we've seen dromai continue to be super popular even after you know not necessarily putting up the results katsu and then icelander and then viscerai azuri and azalea all in the 20s or around the 20 mark uh and then we kind of drop down to the teens with dash dory vincent good to see vincent show up 12 people on vincent 11 on bolton we did see a couple of boltons on stream on day one but ultimately didn't convert very well uh, then there's Phi, Reinar, New Prism, Kano, and, and Riptide. Uh, no Arachne. No Arachne showing up. Yeah, I mean, even Brian said it when he was on the podcast <laughs> that Arachne just kind of sucks and constructed. Not a lot of redeeming uh, factors. But good, good, to see, good to see a bit more Bolton. And then in terms of that conversion into to Day 2, so the Day 2, Lexi has still the, the best conversion into to Day 2. 94 players in Day 2 of the calling, 23 on Lexi, 13 on Bravo, and then 11 on Dromai, so a bit of a swap there. Eight on Briar, seven on Icelander, six on Azuri, um, six on Katsu. So Katsu converting pretty well. Leviya, one of the worst conversion rates, only five players in, in day two. Viserai also pretty poor, two players. So um, you can start to see some of the conversion rates. But I think you have some of the total win rates for the events. Someone pulled together this data. I think it's super interesting to look. There's some day one data, there's day two data, and then there's also the total data. Do you have that up? Otherwise, I can I can read some of that. I do not have it up, uh, but I sent it to you in Discord, which is... I have it here, yes. don't worry. So the winningest hero, the hero with the best win rate at the event was Lexi Livewire, 56% win rate. So this is a this is a combination of all the matches played at the Calling Birmingham. I think it's important, but just maybe just quickly before we dive into the starter and then start talking about these heroes, is that this is one sample size, right? And it is 400 players. It's a, it's a sizable event. It's the biggest event we've had for Dust of Dawn so far. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's factors going into this, right? There's players not... You know, going across to day two, there's, you know, matchup, gem sort of, you know, pieces to it. So I do just kind of want to caveat that a little bit. But Lexi, 56% win rate. And then it is Bravo, 54% win rate. Uh, and then it is Icelander, 52% win rate. So they were the three most winning sticks of the weekend, which I think when you look at it, it's like, okay, Icelander wins the event. Makes sense. Bravo, three copies in top eight. Lexi has the best win rate, but doesn't convert any to top eight. So that feels like a bit of an outlier, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, and that can just happen to some of these events. I mean, you could look at, we could look at nine through 16, right? And there could be plenty of Lexis in there, you know, expand that to the top 32. And, you know, it tell a much different story. Just sometimes the way these top eights tend to percolate, it's just not really representative of the actual, I don't know, performance of the deck overall on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. Like the top 32 is often what I like to like to look at for, um, for things like this, because yeah, it's, it's hard to know. Like you don't have the tail of the tape necessarily, right? You just have what what the stats are telling you. Mm-hmm. 
which makes it a bit harder. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, those are some things I thought were quite interesting. We can talk some matchups when we get into the hero specifically, but I just thought the other thing that I, I thought was quite interesting was there was some some day two only data um, and some of these hero win rates, which I think show the conversion into top eight and top 16 are quite interesting. So uh, fire, the, the one person on fire, I think that was George Roger who lost his, his last game. Ultimately, I think finished ninth. I think he won all his games on on day two. Good, mm-hmm. good result. Uh, Viceroy had a 70% win rate on uh, day two, Brennan. There's two players on that on that hero. And then Azalea had a great win rate. So did Katsu. Makes sense. Dory had a pretty good win rate, 60%. What's interesting is some of the heroes that didn't convert well. They may have made it to day two, but didn't convert well. So Dash had a 30% win rate. Dory had a 36% win rate, despite being one of the most represented heroes on day two. Uh, Levi had a 33% win rate. So some of these heroes that people were talking about, I think, have just kind of struggled. And we've seen... Well, I'd say maybe more, some more of these traditional, some more of these consistent heroes do really well and, and make these top eight. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Looking at top eight, I mean, we're not getting the full picture of top 32. What are your initial thoughts of no Dust Till Dawn heroes in the top eight? How does it make you feel? Uh, not surprised. Okay. Okay. Expand on that. So I think we... Bolton, I think, is... A hero that you know, I think Brian said it really well when he came on the pod. You know, it's it's had upgrades, but it you know it's solidly uh, you know it's a solid solid hero. It's that mid tier kind of hero. Mm. And I think I don't know if people have quite worked out the strategies or it's quite the right meta for Bolton. So I, I think it makes sense in terms of um, Levi. I just I just honestly my testing so far has just shown me that it's just not good enough. It's just not consistent enough. It's it does have those power levels and you will win games, but to me it is it is not consistent enough. I mean we saw. I think it was round five, the Levi player in a position to win rolls double ones in game over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, and then I think the one that I had shouted as like my dark horse was Prism. I thought Prism and looking at this kind of the way that the heroes performed, like Prism would have been actually a pretty great pick. I think you just, you know, it, it, it's tough. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily worked out yet. Um, mm-hmm. And then what hero am I missing? Vincent. Yeah, I mean, Vincent, I still just don't think it's been figured out yet. And this is a hostile meta for Runeblade, I think, with the amount of Icelander, with the amount of Lexi. Um, I just think it's a, it's a, it is a tough meta for, for Runeblades in general right now. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to see the amount of Viscerai and then also how well Viscerai performed on day two, although it didn't convert well at all. I think only two players making it to day two. But Briar did convert, you know, reasonably well, which I was interested to see. So, you know, we had a few U.S. battle hardens that, you know, we had some Dust Till Dawn creep in to the top eights of those, some Levias. Do you think that mm-hmm. this top eight is more representative of where the actual power levels kind of lie in the meta? Obviously, the top eight of Birmingham doesn't look like our bingo sheet at all. But is this more representative of the meta that we're actually in versus the sort of, you know, smaller sample size and microcosms in the form of U.S. battle hardens, which can be around 100 players? Yeah, to an extent, right? It's a bigger event. It's a larger sample size. There's more rounds, right? There's, there's in theory, you know, the cream rises to the top. And I think that, you know, there's more rounds to do that, less rounds to maybe spike and kind mm-hmm. of make it a top eight. But at the same time, it's regional based, right? Like the US events are very different to the US events. Sorry, the European events are very different to the US events. We've seen this like time and time again with just kind of the meta splits, the breakdowns, the heroes people play. Um, but what's remained the same is like, for instance, Lexi and Dromai have continued to be two of the most popular heroes. Bravo really rose this weekend. And I think had an event been in the US, we probably would have seen the same. Like, I think people were identifying over the last couple of weeks, you know, Bravo's potential in this meta. 
Um, and I think the reason that people played that is that mm. they, they felt that. And oh. also probably a lot of the, Let me ask the you top a players. Let me ask you a question. Just what were they identifying that told them that Bravo was a good choice? The, that it's hard to beat that strategy if you mm. don't have a plan for it. And I think people did not have a plan for it. So if think, we went you know, to a tournament in uh, next weekend, the weekend after, maybe four weeks, let's just take it to a nationals. Do you think that people adapt mm. to this Bravo strategy that has emerged in Birmingham? Yeah, definitely. I think people definitely will. I, I think I thought more people were aware of kind of Bravo's ability in this meta, I think. And I think people seem surprised to see like Bucklers and Titan Fist get flipped, for instance. Does, um, which, so does the Bravo strategy, does it crumble under, you know, a responsive meta that adapts to the strategy that was displayed at Birmingham? Or can it hold up? Is no. it fundamentally powerful enough? Yeah, it's it's still a good strategy, right? Like Guardian is still good. It still has a lot of block threes. It still has good weapons. It still has this ability to go wide. It's still a real problem for decks like Dramai, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's still, you know, going to have game into to Lexi. Uh, they can adapt again and play in a, a even different way into Lexi, for instance. So, yeah, I, I think people can adapt, but also the Bravos can readapt. And Bravo just fundamentally is minimum going to be a, a tier two hero through this whole sort of run of events, I think, if not you know, around that tier one sort of spacing. Mm-hmm. I would be hard pressed right now to say that Bravo is up there with Lexi in terms of, you know, power level and, and ability to stay around in this format. But, you know, this weekend showed that it is good. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's, you know, I also, I mean, I also have a hard time seeing Bravo uh, keep up the success as we go into the weeks. But that's why I reached out to, I reached out to Pablo. It's like, hey, Pablo, come on. Come tell us. Come tell us why this hero is good and why it's going to remain good. Because, you know, when I saw that strategy, I, you know, I had flashbacks. I had flashbacks seeing old him play. I was like, this is basically the same deck. Um, but it just, it, it's a weaker shell. It is. It looks like it to me. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe Starstruck is that good. Maybe, you know, drawing your crippling crush, which is crazy expensive, you know, is good enough. But it does look like just a fundamentally weaker shell than old him. And we saw old him, you know, Hayden and I both believe it was the best deck of the last format, but we saw it not have success time, you know, some time and time again. You, we did see Lexi rise up, kind of take over. Uh, I think we, transitioned past that you know towards the end of the meta was like okay old him is really the narrative here nevertheless um yeah i'm inclined to agree with you hayden consistency is always good i think it's like a hero like dash right we don't talk a lot about dash except when it wins these callings seemingly you know out of nowhere but dash is a hero that has good consistency now i think it has some pretty poor matchups in a meta but it has the ability to win any game and then it does have some just good fundamental matchups outside of that as well ultimately i think on the weekend it had one of the worst win rates and it was quite well represented i think it had like a 42 percent win rate across the event it's won two callings this year already you know like and i just think consistency is the thing that's going to drive bravo to continue to be a force in the meta and it's a word that we talked about a lot with with brian as well it's the reason that i don't particularly want to play Leviathan in this format um mm. consistency and power as like a balance and scale it's like okay i want to find the hero that uh, if it's like an axis right mm-hmm. like an x and y axis i want to find the hero that's furthest along on both of those right that, that is yeah. just that's where it is and but i would i would take consistency over over power as like a maybe like a a two to one or like a, a 0.5 to one sort of thing so we're missing i think we're missing a key chapter in modern you know the current the current story of flesh and blood and i said what the hell is going on with all this icelander success hayden because we talked about in the pod already but i'm going to repeat it if we look back to the past meta it was dominated by old him and lexi and go what was gatekeeping icelander out mm-hmm. most people wouldn't say old him they would say lexi is the mm-hmm. banning of 
bracers. It's impactful enough that Lexi is able to consider now moving forward to consistently be successful in a Lexi dominated matter. You said Lexi is most played deck. Nevertheless, we see, you know, Ice Center take back, take on Battle Harden to Battle Harden and then go win an entire calling. What What's going on here? And I don't understand. I don't understand. Tell me. Okay. First of all, the bra- the bullseye breast ban is definitely a lot more impactful than I thought it was. And, and a lot of people, not, not just myself, but I think fundamentally I was like, okay, it, it removes like an eight damage sort of like play from your deck, right? But you still get to use that same dragon scale as something else, which is true. But what it also does is just removes flexibility. It lets the opponent understand the play patterns a lot better and, and know where you can, it stops these like crazy endless arrows turns. Yeah. It kind of, you know where the kind of like ceiling is a little bit more with the Lexi turns, which is, I think better than I thought it was going to be. There's also splash effect, right? And now has, you know, you lose this arcane barrier, which is really relevant against, I said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat relevant against Icelander, but also you, you now have to play just a much worse arm spot. Like are you playing Hornet Sting? Like that card, you know, it's Iron Rot with like a little bit of upside potentially. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not good, right? Like the arm slot is now quite barren for, for Lexi. So that's one thing. When it comes to Icelander and this, I guess, ban or, you know, sorry, Living Legend and then the Band of Bullseye Braces. It's not just that that's changed this matchup, I think. People went towards what we saw um, Raya have success with, which was like this Arcane Icelander, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, Encase and Icebind and these ways that basically can almost like, plus Warmongers um, can almost like time walk, if not time walk, the Lexi, right? Just blank the whole turn. The answer to that is is Trench, right? Is playing the chest the new chest from um is that from dynasty, dynasty yeah yeah playing trench i thought everyone would be on trench this weekend from what i understand from what i saw people were not necessarily playing trench um i don't think you need to play in every matchup but any matchup you expect to be warmongers and particularly against icelander i think is the answer against icelander i thought people were going to play that and we're going to see it mm-hmm. uh and it sounds like maybe we didn't maybe people haven't quite adapted yet to play this trench plan or maybe they had trench but didn't adjust their deck to be able to play with it a bit better but that gets you out of these like situations um so i think iceland is benefiting from you know players not necessarily having that in the deck or understanding the game plan they might need to enact to, to beat the arcane icelander um just assuming it's still a good matchup and it, 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 with icelander being able to do that and time walk these leaks it's really really good it is it makes the matchup like you know close to favored for icelander which is very different i talk about consistency i mean icelander is mrs Super consistent it's like one of the most consistent decks so like let's look at it mm-hmm. just quickly so you mentioned arcane icelander um and i did see the decks i did see Reyes deck um the deck that won this tournament is, I mean, kind of Arcane Icelander, but also this is, I mean, this is Wounded Bull Icelander. It does have the Encase, of course. It also has Channel the Bleak Expanse, which you were telling me earlier is quite a good card versus Lexi. Outside of that, very par for the course on the rest of the list okay. in terms of what Michael Hamilton brought to like the World Championships. Like it is that list. It has the Wounded Bulls, Fandless Fighting Spirit, has gone down to two Enlightened Strikes, you know, three Scar for Scars, etc. Um, so one thing I'll say is if Icelander actually does start to rise in representation, and there is a dichotomy between like, you know, maybe you're you're trying to pick between the arcane version or the woundable version. Like in the mirror, I feel like the woundable version absolutely shits on the arcane version. Like it's mm. not close. It's Honestly, not if you play an Icelander mirror of a wounded bull, like both players on wounded bull decks, it feels super high variance on not who draws frost hex or any of that shit. It's whoever draws 
wounded bowl and stuff like that. Wherever, yeah, one per turn. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> and it, it, it actually, it's not a really fun matchup to play. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting because I think that if you know people look at the results of the calling Birmingham, they look at the past Battlehorn results, you know, Icelanders should start to rise in popularity. And as a result, these Icelanders will be forced or sort of pinned into playing the wounded bull version by the other Icelanders that are also um, coming back into the meta. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think the Icelander story as well is it's quite interesting when you look at the matchups for Icelander over the weekend. Like I kind of said maybe the Lexi players weren't weren't prepared. I mean, it had a 35% win rate against Lexi. So, you know, Lexi had a 65% win rate in the matchup. It's a little bit lower than I would expect if, if people are across the plans. But, you know, Icelander was winning less than half the games there. So, you know, having a bad matchup into the most played deck, maybe if the rest of your matchups are fine, you can kind of dodge it. Uh, I mean, Dromai ended up with like a 50% matchup, a 50% win rate over the weekend, yeah. which is quite interesting. Uh, into into Bravo, I think that's where, you know, it looks super favored potentially, 50% win rate again. So, you know, th- these kind of like, <clears throat> ultimately, the finishes don't necessarily always tell the story of what a longer <clears throat> extrapolation of a format could be. Yeah. It's one event, right? It's the same thing with like dash winning. But the one word I'll keep coming back to is consistency, right? Like these decks are consistent. They can always win an event. And then the other thing on top of that, I think, that's kind of lean, leaning towards Icelander, Bravo, um, maybe even the ninjas having a really good time is the fact they worked out. They're pretty solved decks, right? Like the, the, the strategies are fairly solved. Yeah, you can adapt them. We're seeing this a bit of adaption, but you know, the core of these decks are pretty, they're consistent and they're pretty sort of solved at this point. I think that's why we're seeing such early success from them. Yeah, so Lexi must play deck. Um, you know, we could. I think we can say at this point that Icelander probably doesn't have a great matchup into Lexi. Um, there was, of course, that card that Rhea was playing that um, this deck doesn't have. What's, it's the new card, the blue card. Do you remember what it's called? Warmongers? Exactly. They weren't playing Warmongers Diplomacy? No, there's no Warmongers in this list. I mean, there's Blue Sigil of Permafrost. doesn't really do the same thing. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't do anything. Um, yeah, there's no Warmongers in this list. So that was like the big tech, right? Um, and Anyway, my point was is that if you, you have a bad matchup with the best deck, or into the most played deck, um, and you know, debatably the best deck, but you also have an even worse matchup into one of the other most played decks, which is Dramai. And maybe that the win mm. rate didn't tell out over the course of the weekend, but you know, I'm happy to die on the hill. Dramai is a terrible matchup for Icelander, like an absolutely garbage matchup for Icelander. Maybe it's a bit more reasonable with the red line, but if you face any sort of big dragon list, like that is that matchup sucks. Yeah, I know people have been cutting like Thamai's and Sand Covers and Oasis and stuff, but in this format, I think that that probably doesn't really make sense. Super interesting. Just sorry, I just didn't realize this winning list didn't have Warmongers, but I think the more I think about it, I guess if I'm sat in, in Samuel's shoes, maybe Samuel's thinking, okay, I think Alexi's going to adapt. I think Warmongers is not going to be as impactful against Alexi. I think the Runeblade matchups are already so good for me that I don't need a card like Warmongers, so why waste the space on that card and let's look at something like Channel the Wick Expanse, which I did say before, you know, I think you mentioned I said about Lexi, but actually against the decks like um, Brutes in particular, you know, especially uh, Leviah, really good, really good there in response to a Bloodrush Bellows, in response to an Art of War. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think that card is potentially quite good in this meta. And, and yeah, I mean, Samuel's list looks really, really solid for it. It looks like Samuel really understood kind of what the meta was going to look like. And I guess when I think about it, Warmongers probably isn't really necessarily needed in, in the Icelandic deck for this meta. Mm-hmm. Once once the Lexi is adapted, which I'm, I'm sure maybe, you know, Samuel being now calling one, I probably thought that was what was going to happen. All right. 
Let's talk about these Katsus because, I mean, we talk about things not making sense, uh, maybe the Bravos, but, you know, Katsu is a deck that surprised both of us. I mean, both of these Katsu lists look very aggressive. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to dive into them, um, but do you, what sort of stands out to you when you look at, at Katsu here? So I definitely, I actually watched the the top eight match with the, the Katsu player playing uh, against Sebastian on, on Bravo. Um, and I think his list was a little bit less aggressive, had a bit more sort of mid-rangey sort of outputs. Um, I think Katsu, like I said, super interesting choice. I guess with the Katsu plan, the idea was probably, you know, expecting a lot of Dromai. Um, Icelander isn't isn't that bad for you. I mean, I don't know what kind of the the win rate, win rate over the weekend was for, for Katsu to Icelander. Yeah, it looks about 50%. Um, yeah, I... I I just, I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to justify why people choose Katsu over five, basically, is the first thing I'm trying to understand. And I think the reason is probably more game into decks like uh, Icelander, more game into decks like Leviah, uh, more game into decks like Bravo, potentially, as well, rather than, than Fi. Um, but, I mean, I'm just, my experience with Katsu has been that it's, it's tough. Like, I just feel like you're never really super favored into a lot of these matchups, even your best matchups feel like good but not necessarily that good and your kind of tougher matchups feel really tough to be honest so i was definitely surprised to see katsu do some more i think probably these players know katsu really well mm. and were able to leverage that because i think when you look at the katsu win rate overall from the weekend like it was negative like it was a negative win rate for for katsu the weekend and i think we saw that pc baltimore as well like katsu showed up with team poland and i think brave choice and some awesome innovation stuff but ultimately it didn't perform that well at baltimore either yeah no that's true all right anything else you want to sort of tie up this retrospective of birmingham with let's let's talk a little bit about levi surely okay okay go for it one of the most played decks of the format one of the worst win rates of the event mm-hmm. um sitting right up there with you know bolton vincent and dash uh Next is, or Prism, actually Prism had a tough weekend, but, and then it is Leviathan, 45% win rate. I just, I, first of all, I think it hasn't been figured out, right? I think there is something there to harness. I think the consistency is a real issue. I don't know how you build Leviathan. I don't, I've tried a few different ways so far. I've tried ways that are more consistent, but feel less powerful and not good enough. You know, against a format that has Lexi, that has Icelander, that has Bravo. I've tried ways that are more powerful, but just less consistent, which feels like you're just taking, literally just taking dice to your event, which doesn't feel good. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's something more to be worked out or Levia has gone from an absolute D tier hero to like a C tier hero with, with the new cards and um, the Demi hero. I mean... <laughs> At this point, it looks like Dust Till Dawn gave the D tier to C tier makeover to a lot of heroes. <laughs> but I don't know. Look, too early to tell. The, like it, it's too, like the two new heroes. I hold out hope for. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't. I, I'm genuinely not holding out hope for Bolton. I will not hold my breath uh, for for that hero's design. But I, I agree with you that you know, looking at Prism and looking at Vincent, they are puzzles to solve. And I don't know. In in the current state of Flesh and Blood. I think that the general hive mind of the player base is 10 to 100x what it was a couple years ago. So it does surprise me that it if it if it can be solved that it hasn't been solved yet because players are so good now and there are so many of them. Nevertheless, there those heroes are confusing for sure. Well, you you're holding your list to nationals, aren't you? Um I mean, I was absolutely trolling about the Vincent thing. I'm just going to play a wizard. <laughs> 
Uh, I heard that some people were like diving into your comments and thought that you were being serious. That's why I had to laugh and just make sure that people knew it was definitely mm-hmm. no, definitely def- troll, definitely trolling. Patrick. I, I will be, I will be on a wizard almost one hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. What about okay? What about Dromai? Just quickly as well. Second most played deck of the form uh, of the event. Nothing in top eight. The conversion to day two was okay. It had a fifty percent win rate of the event overall. Had a really tough day two. Not sure if that was just pairings and stuff, but. I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on Jerome? Like, where's it sat? You know, I think it, it lost its biggest enemy in Ultim in my eyes, yeah. but it's still struggling. So trying to evaluate Jermai, looking at st- like the data from a large event, like a calling or even a battle harden, I think is a lot about seeing the forest through the trees um, because it just has one of the worst conversion rates Always. Like, it, for some reason, it's it's whether the deck is challenging to play, it's hard to build, people are on different builds, you know, gem format, etc. I think if we just took the macro statistics of Jermai, uh, not, you know, not counting top eights and not counting, you know, tournament finishes, I guess, past that, um, mm-hmm. we would just never really understand the deck. So, I think if we expand a top 32, it might be a little bit more telling. But that being said, I mean, look at the conversion rate. Jermai seems to always have a bad conversion rate. Um, and it just, it's not representative of this sort of tier of players that have mastered that deck and are able to get success with that deck. It seems like the vast majority of players seem to only, I don't know, face defeat with it. Mm, that's so interesting. When I look at this this current format and I break down all the heroes and I, I did this recently, I just kind of went through all the heroes, thought about the, the my experience playing them, where I think the strengths and the weaknesses lie. Like to me, Dromai is in that kind of upper tier of powerful decks in this format. Like it's like, for me, it's like, okay, Icelander, Lexi, Dromai, to be honest, Prism, I think is the other deck that's up there where I'm like, these decks have power and consistency and I think uh, are potentially really good, but it's just like each of these have a little bit of a downfall. And then under that is like more of the consistent heroes. It's like Fi, Bravo, mm. you know, Briar potentially even as well, Dash. It's Yeah, it's such an interesting... So, the game has actually shifted a lot yeah. in the last two formats. We don't have to evaluate this format in a vacuum, right? As like just what we've seen till Dust of Dawn. We can just look back to the previous format mm-hmm. before Detail Deed released and we just go, what was gatekeeping Jermai? And I think it was more old him than anything else. I think you actually had a very bad old him matchup. And if you, I know yeah. that the player base is split on that, but if you don't agree, just go look at Pro Tour Baltimore, the coverage. You will see Dramas get absolutely just clinically, surgically picked apart and just lose those games. Two good old him players. Um, so yeah, I mean, if the biggest, the biggest gatekeeper for Jermai has left the format, then why is Jermai not seeing more success? You would expect it to see more success. Kind of under the assumption that Dust Till Dawn, at least up until now, has been, I guess, less relevant than more, right? It's not like the new mm-hmm. Dust Till Dawn heroes and cards are what's potentially gatekeeping Jermai out of the format. Yeah. Unsure. I, I think, obviously, the rise of aggro to an extent. I mean, Runeblade yeah. was pretty Macro well conditions change, yeah. Katsu was well represented. So, you know, potentially just a hostile environment for Jermai in, in general. Um but yeah, it's an interesting one. If there was a if there was a calling this weekend, what do you think you would play? And do you think we're gonna see much of a change from this past weekend? Yeah, so I don't know. I'm definitely inclined to play Icelander, but I would have to be confident in the Lexi matchup. I it's just it's how do you pick that deck when you look at the the 
the sort of match rate versus versus the most popular deck in the form of Lexi. And you know Jermai is also in there. It's gonna be it's gonna be highly represented in the top three decks. It just seems like a bad pick. But what what I can assume or what I will assume looking at you know Reyes finishes, looking at the recent finishes that calling Birmingham is maybe there's some players that play Icelander that think that matchup is winnable. You know, it's a, it maybe mm. not a great matchup, but it's a fine matchup. And then Icelander is just a consistent and fundamentally powerful deck into the rest of the heroes. And it does look like that, um, looking at the rest of the meta. So my first inclination would be Icelander, but I think after that, in this format, it's so turbulent. Um, you know, the top deck has had one of its key arcane barrier pieces removed. I think you know where I'm going with this. You know, I'd probably play Kano, to be honest. I think that Kano is in a good spot. <laughs> like, I mean... It could be it, it's in a fine spot. I th- I know one of the players that I'm testing with for nationals, Peter Peter Budensek, has been playing the hero and also agrees, right? And has been seeing success with it. Not maybe not the success of winning the entire event, but the meta conditions seem to be sort of vacillating to a place where maybe Kano could be good. And I think that yeah, it's it's probably what I would look at. And but it's always what I look at. It's 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 one of those questions where it's I'm just gonna give you the same answer every time, and then I'm just gonna default to just a consistent and fundamentally fundamentally powerful deck if the Kano litmus test fails. Right, right. So if the if you're gonna ignore the cope and you know you're just, you know, <laughs> Bro, you, cope, cope with I, you say cope, but like, you know, we're coming up on the world championships. You're gonna fly halfway across the world, and I think that you're sitting here right now, it just Completely indifferent of all the variables that might matter, there's still an over fifty percent chance that you end up on Kano. You just do it every time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've only done it once. I've only played it. Well, I, yeah, I played it the first PT, but that was that was like a, a last minute switch. I've to, only to done it once. Says the guy who's done it twice. When like how many tournaments have I been? <laughs> well, I did. I did lock into Kano for was pretty early, and I'm and I'm glad I did. Of the time. Yeah, I think. Do you know the the crazy thing though is like in in retrospect for that event in particular. I I wish I just probably played Icelander Oldham. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it's it's tough. I don't know. My 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 view on how to prepare for an event has definitely shifted since that world championship. Mm. Um I'm hoping you know, I'm trying something different for nationals this time around. I'm hoping it works in my favor. It's something that I tried for Singapore and seemed to work well in terms of, you know, result. Again, I won't focus too much on the result. We'll always focus on the, the journey and the process. And I'm pretty happy with the process at the moment of, of how to approach these events. But it's definitely different to what I've done in the past. And I think it makes me want to play decks like Kano, like Leviah, uh, whatever. A lot, a lot, lot less, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Kano is one of those decks that the fire starts to burn. And then you just, you make a suboptimal <laughs> choice because it... And it starts to burn. Yeah, I genuinely believe that deck is just... If you play that deck, you're just cooler than everybody else. Like, that's just how it is. True. And people, you, and you then, can tell, like, you saw those, the whole crew from California. You can see that spark light. And now they're just the cool kids. They rock when the events. Everybody's like, yo, is that Chris Ayali? Here he plays Gano. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what they say? When this fire starts to burn, it starts to spread. It spreads all the way to you playing in the calling on the second day of the Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. true, true. <laughs> yeah, and everybody has extra arcane barrier because they're ready. Yep. Been there. My favorite, my favorite thing. Okay, well, look, I'm super interested to see where this format goes. I mean, what what is next for us? I mean, we've got uh, a couple of Battle Hardens. Well, actually, I think just one, right? And then we've got national championships u.s nationals and the the calling the u.s calling uh calling las vegas that is what brendan we're less than four weeks away from that mm-hmm. yep four weeks away exactly from by the time this pod drops it's gonna be very exciting to see what happens brendan i finally get to you know 
message Brendan I'm taking it like, pretty casual. Going? I'm taking it pretty casual. How's the event going? You know, like, honestly, I'm not preparing like I have prepared in the past for like PTs and worlds and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm taking it relatively casually. I mean, Monarch is a format that I feel just fine in. Like, I feel comfortable. Um, even if that that's is... Yeah, even if... The, well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't feel the... I don't know. I don't feel the need to be to reach a much higher level of mastery than I, I feel like I'm already at. I don't know. I just feel okay in it. I feel like I understand the format to an extent that I can do fine in a, in a pod at nationals. Um, and then I'm just not, I just do not feel a desire to play Lexi. I don't. Um, and I don't think mm-hmm. I will. If it was a pro tour, if it was a world championships, I think that my process would be a little bit different, but you know, nationals is an event that I didn't know I was playing till about a week ago. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just changes. Chances that you play Bravo. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I I, I'm the only you, one here I, that's brought Bravo to an actual event. So that's the thing. That's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I think it's higher than you think it is, though. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, just to end this kind of kind of where my testing's at at the moment is like, I think there's like four heroes I could feasibly see myself playing right now. And I, I just don't see anything outside of that for nationals. It's going to be quite interesting. I would say at the moment for me, it's like Icelander, Jumai, Lexi. And then I think the fourth isn't Bravo. I think it's Prism. I think the fourth here I could see myself playing is Prism. But um, yeah. We'll I mean, see. Prism, like, basically, uh, it, it feels on that Kano level of a pick at this point. You need to play some Prism. It's, okay, okay, it's okay, pretty okay. consistent. Outside, look, outside looking powerful, in here. Outside, what? Kano's most consistent deck in the game. No, outside looking in on Prism. <laughs> outside looking in, for sure. Yeah. All right. Arsenal Pass, episode 121. Calling Birmingham, aka, we got it wrong a little <laughs> bit, but maybe not so wrong. Maybe we're just ahead of our time. You know, we're just seeing things a few weeks down the path. Maybe we're already sharing some of the information. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. Anything else to add, Brendan? We'll sign off. Nope, that's it. I mean, hopefully we'll be able to have Pablo on uh, either next week or the week after to, you know, just change our mind. Change our mind on Bravo. And then who knows? You might be listening to episode, you know, 130 and it's just going to be Kano's we're, we're Kano's stands, shit. Yeah. Bravo's the man. You play Bravo. We played, why cool. we play Bravo at yeah, Nationals. All the chads are playing Bravo at Worlds. Like, ugh, who knows? Huh? Very true. All right. Uh, we're on Twitter. You can find this man here at Brendan APG. You can find me at Fian underscore Dale. Come and join in the discourse. As I say, questions for Commander Cookout, get them in. You can either email us, you can drop them in the YouTube comments below, or you can uh, DM us on Twitter. If you're an Arsenal Pass patron, drop them in the Discord. Massive shout out to the Arsenal Pass patrons. And until next week, we will see you in the next episode.